guys. Once again, it's your man, Mike D. Experts discuss history of generational trauma, coping mechanisms. Got some information I want to share with you again today, and this is going to be in reference to generational trauma. I know we've talked about it once before. We're going to share generational trauma three. According to many therapists and mental health professionals, sometimes trauma isn't derived from a one-time extreme life events like a tragic tornado, a school shooting, or a car crash. Although very traumatic these events are, many people have reported they also experience generational trauma, meaning they suffer from the lenient effects of intense short-term or chronic stressors felt by their family, their community, or a natural disaster that their family had to endure. I define generational trauma as incidents that live in our body and in our emotional psyche that we have not necessarily experienced ourselves or we have passed on through family experiences, says Ms. Van Zandt, a nonprofit CEO and member of the Trauma Research Foundation's Board of Directors. What are symptoms of generational trauma? People are often unaware of the signs of generational trauma, which can include depression, anxiety, or distrust of certain groups or institutions. The nonprofit Bridge Inc. worked with people during the COVID-19 pandemic, and she witnessed some of the effects of generational trauma firsthand. Ms. Van Zandt, who identifies as African-American, described how vaccine hesitancy among some American-African communities she worked with came from a quote-unquote distrust stemming from traumatic experiences with the medical community from current and earlier generations. Research exploring historical trauma examines how the felt trauma of these events is held internally and passed down to future generations, such that family members who have not directly experienced the trauma are impacted by its effects generations later. If an American African, for example, is fortunate enough to know the history of medicine, the way we have been specimens and objectified, or we haven't been told the full truth about medical processes and their impact, the trauma there is related to reveal violence, real oppression, and fear, she added. A life coach who works specifically with mothers and families and focuses on women's empowerment, Miss Lyons, in her practice, Lyons has seen how trauma suffered by a mother, even in childhood, can have a direct impact on her children later in life. One of Lyons' clients grew up in foster care and suffered emotional and physical abuse as a child. She felt like she didn't deserve care. She didn't get any kind of proper care growing up. As an adult, Lyons says the client often feels like her self-care, her emotional needs, her physical needs are unimportant. The mindset led the client into an emotional abusive relationship in adulthood, something that's had a lingering impact on her children. The client's teenage daughter is now suffering from an eating disorder just by witnessing her mom not take care of herself in that relationship. It has had an impact on the daughter. How can we address generational trauma? Ms. Rooney, an experienced trauma therapist and 
social work professor. She says conventional one-on-one therapy isn't always the right way to help those suffering from generational trauma. Rooney works a lot with adopted children or children in foster care who have experienced rejection or a disconnection from parents. Some queer children have been rejected by parents who never learned the homophobia their own parents taught or subjected them to. Other kids have been adopted by a family of a different race and feel severed from their families and their communities of others who look like them. Both of these instances, you know, are pretty traumatic for a child to have to endure. Those kids don't just need talk therapy, but a safe group where they can heal from the rejection or loss they've experienced. Trauma disconnects us from ourselves, from our bodies, and from other people, from community, and from a sense of belonging. In order to really heal, we have to experience safety and connection with other people. Yeah, we can go through life isolated, alone, by oneself, sure, but there are consequences as well. People can become socially isolated both intentionally and unintentionally. While levels of social contact can vary over time, extended periods of social isolation can harm mental and physical well-being. Some signs that you or someone you know might be socially isolated include dropping out of social activities or events that you used to participate in, Spending a great deal of time each day alone while little to no contact with other people. Having no one to turn to when you need to talk, have advice, or just a friendly person to talk to. Rarely communicating with other people by text, phone, or video call. Lack of meaningful, close, intimate connections with other people. Feeling lethargic, sad, or rejected. Hypersensitivity to environmental stimuli. Benzat agrees that community is often crucial in addressing generational trauma. A lot of generational trauma comes from social spaces. People can find healing in different intentional groups that counteract those traumas. Building community healing spaces that include spaces for women to get their natural hair done and a community kitchen, men's group, and safe spaces for the children to be kids and learn from their traumas and not feel they have to carry this trauma into adulthood. It produces results. People should feel more heard and see their needs met in those community healing spaces. That is one of the best ways to move through some of the generational trauma and disrupt it. These spaces are much needed, especially after 2020 and all the mass shootings, road rage, and aggression of people in these current days. A lot of people talk about complex trauma. What does it mean? No one gets through life unscathed, but what trauma does to our brains is sometimes a result of factors outside of our control. This is especially true for children. When a fragile, growing brain endures chronic stress or multiple traumas, it can have devastating consequences on cognitive and emotional well-being throughout a person's lifetime, right? We spoke with Dr. N.G. Ning, an assistant professor of the Department of Psychology at the University of California at Los Angeles and director of the Treatment and Research for the Underserved with Stress and Trauma, or TRUST, lab about complex trauma and the results of difficult childhood experiences compounded on a developing brain. And this is what we learned. 
What is the difference between that trauma and the complex trauma? Complex trauma is the sum of many different factors usually occurring in childhood, which presents very differently than a one-off trauma event. Okay, Complex trauma is often, but not always, associated with childhood maltreatment and multiple forms of adversity. In this situation, the child may have had many chronic stressors over a life course overlaid with a sort of developmental trauma in a sense that it's occurring at a time when the child is expected to develop very critical cognitive and emotional development skills like emotional regulation and problem solving. The impact on the brain and the body is far different from both the chronic stress situation as well as the developmental trajectory for where the particular individual is time in comparison to, let's say, a 25-year-old who overall has had fairly stable and healthy developmental trajectory before, say, a car accident, right? But that 25-year-old has the benefit of having had their brain and body develop in a stable and healthy way. In this case, we would anticipate better coping strategies, a better ability to regulate their emotions and their psychological reactions in addition to better social support and resources that they can draw upon, Dr. N says. While no one is immune to experiencing trauma or traumatic life events, some communities, here many communities of people of color, are at higher risk than others. Though communities may have risk factors that can lead to more trauma, even when trauma does not occur. Certain areas may have fewer resources to cope with trauma. We know this to be true. Dr. N outlines what are some of the systematic factors that can lead to people to communities experiencing more trauma in the first place. Discrimination against historically marginalized communities. Policy decisions that make certain areas more unsafe. Substandard housing that's vulnerable to natural disasters. And everyday stressors like unequal access to quality education and food insecurities. Dr. Han also describes some of the barriers to treatment for these communities. People seeking mental health services in general are going to have a really hard time finding them in part because there's just not enough mental health providers. There are not enough clinics and those mental health providers and clinics tend to be clustered in high income areas. Right? She also describes some additional difficulties such as not being able to afford payments of treatment. Costs are astronomical, and this is in the healthcare industry as a whole. Differences in insurances and what is and what isn't covered. Lack of time to seek treatment. Lack of providers that come from the same communities as the patients they are treating. So then the question is, how can we help? How can you help people suffering from trauma? The best way to help people through a tough time as they grapple with trauma, generational or otherwise, is to be a positive social support. Here are a few ways to show the person that you simply care about them. Show that you believe in them. We've become a society where we don't need people. We're too isolated. We don't and can't share our feelings or beliefs without being ridiculed and downtrodden. Show that you are available. Again, isolation. We drift further apart from each other when it's been established. People need each other. In order to really heal, we have to experience safety and connection with other people. 
show that you will treat them the same way you treated them before. Don't switch up. Treat the person with kindness and respect. We don't have to be professionals to show sympathy or empathy to others. It goes a long way showing that you're there for them and that they can talk if they want or need to talk. It's okay that there's no shame associated with whatever particular thing or things that has happened. A lot of survivors carry a lot of shame, blame, and guilt. You and we know that that's inaccurate, so be able to be that person who can reflect. That can be very helpful and encouraging. What is trauma bonding? While you may or know someone to be misunderstanding the cycle of abuse, traumatic or abusive situations often distance or isolate people. Sometimes it can also bring them closer in what is called a trauma bond, an unhealthy relationship between an abuser and their victim. Contrary to popular belief, it does not describe a shared connection between two victims of trauma. It simply describes a bond or connection with the perpetrator of abuse in their life, says Miss Tucker. A simple start to connect with, understand, or even become defensive of a person who is abusing them. In order to heal from an abusive relationship, it's important to recognize what a trauma bond is and isn't. So let's look at it from, I say, a registered clinical counselor specializing in trauma's perspective. Confront the abuser face-to-face. Express to the abuser the pain felt and perhaps the abused can feel and deal in order to share thoughts and feelings better. Allowing the abuser to recognize his or her abusive ways and confront themselves. Many abusers refuse to acknowledge that they are abusers unless otherwise confronted and see the error of their ways. Do they change or digress? Maybe, hopefully, prayerfully. Some do, some do not. In a trauma-bonded relationship, moments of distress and devaluation are often juxtaposed with intermittent positivity or intimacy, making it difficult to leave these toxic situations. The victim will often try to rationalize or justify the abuse they're experiencing and consequently form an emotional attachment to their abuser. Trauma bonding is when we connect and associate the perpetrator of trauma or violence with love. While it's most commonly referred to trauma bonding refers to romantic relationships, trauma bonding can exist in many and any dynamic with a power imbalance, including but not limited to situations involving domestic abuse, child abuse, narcissistic abuse, kidnapping, human trafficking, cults, etc., The trauma bonding may be difficult to spot because it involves a cycle of abuse and positive reinforcement, sometimes called love bombing. Common signs that someone is stuck in a trauma bonding include dependency of the abuser, defensiveness or making excuses to others for an abuser, rationalizing or justifying an abuser's behaviors, Isolation from friends and family through manipulation and gaslighting. And lastly, self-blame or believing the abuser is their own fault. Now, keeping in mind, not everyone who experiences abuse will develop a trauma bond, but it can be a maladaptive way for our brains to handle or survive trauma. If you continue to isolate from friends and family as it relates to abuse, keep this in mind. Some of the potential consequences of social isolation and loneliness include 
health risk associated with social isolation in general and in young, middle, and old age are increased alcohol and substance use, poor physical health, increased risk for depression, a higher risk for suicide, changes in brain function, antisocial behavior, heart disease, and stress levels raised. Some victims of abuse may think if they understand this person at a deeply intimate level, it makes it it a lot easier to predict how the abuser might harm you in the future. So really, it's a safety strategy that they're unconsciously doing in order to protect themselves. However, warning, warning, warning that staying in an abusive and a traumatic situation too long can have mental health consequences in the long run, including an increased risk of PTSD, anxiety, substance use, and depression, and or death by suicide, even murder. So how do you break a trauma bond? Breaking free from a trauma bond can be difficult and a decades-long process, right? But the National Domestic Violence Hotline offers some suggestions to those struggling. One, don't compromise the truth for empty promises. It means being honest with yourself about how your partner's choice to behave violently towards you in any way has impacted you or your family members or children in the past. It is currently impacting you and may impact you down the road without dismissing this reality. Be vigilant and acknowledge what you're going through. This can mean journaling it to remind yourself later and reflecting on its impact. Knowing that what had happened and continues to happen will continue to happen. Avoid negative self-talk. Instead, embrace positive self-truths by surrounding yourself with a strong support system. Try something like, I'm smart because I'm taking steps to empower my future at this very moment. And these are some simple suggestions from the NDVH, the National Domestic Violence Hotline. A therapist can help you address emotional trauma issues that lead to social isolation and abuse, develop strategies to combat trauma bonding, generational trauma, and complex trauma, and strengthen your social skills, all of which may help you to heal and deal your health, your healing, and dealing with trauma to a well-being individual about engaging in social activities. <laughs> You can do this. We'll talk to you soon. It's your man, Mike D. Checking out. Peace.